Welcome to the Under 8 Podcast, a daily college basketball show brought to you every weekday in under eight minutes. At the time of recording, it is just after midnight on Wednesday, November 29th. My name is Josh Molnix. On today's pod, the Kentucky Wildcats make a statement against Miami. Georgia Tech's best win of the season, and Alabama falls at home in the ACC SEC Challenge. It's all right here on the Under 8 Podcast. Number eight, Miami versus number 12, Kentucky in Lexington. On the surface, a game you'd expect to be highly competitive. Josh Doring, ultimately, the reality was it was a 95-73 win for the Kentucky Wildcats. Looks like maybe a little bit of... Technical issues with Joshua. Once we get his camera back, we'll throw him back on the screen. But Kentucky 95-73, the final score uh, on the opening night of the ACC-SEC Challenge. Quite the statement. Quite the statement. Wildcats shoot 37 of 62 from the field. It was, once again... Like it seems to be every night for Kentucky. Reed Shepard off the bench in 30 minutes, 21, 5, 4, and 3 on 8 of 13, shooting 5 of 9 from the three-point line. Slow night for basically everyone on the Miami side of things, save maybe two players, but 26 of 59 for Miami. The big question here with, with the Hurricane at this point is, can the Hurricanes, can Jim Laranega's squad play at a high enough level defensively to beat really good teams on a consistent basis? They're 15th in the country offensively after tonight's loss, 118th at Kempom on the defensive side of the basketball. This is, this is something that I've been curious about with the Hurricanes coming into this season because I, I felt like the, the consistency of their offense – Maybe was going to go away, maybe not go away, but was certainly going to be tested um, with the departure of guys like Isaiah Wong uh, leaving the fold that on nights where they just score 73 instead of 85, 90, 95, are they keeping up with uh, with teams like Kentucky this year? And on this particular night, the answer the answer was no, I believe that we have Josh again. We'll pop him back onto the screen. Josh, uh, just talking about Miami on a night where they were fine, but not great offensively and the defense just couldn't keep up. Yeah. Don't you love it when the computer just decides to shut down on you very Um, much. So my apologies. The, the big thing for me here is that if you can't take advantage of Kentucky's, lack of size right now and we're getting closer to that not being an issue mm-hmm. Kentucky is just a better team which is kind of to your point that Miami is not as dynamic offensively still has this, the same defensive issues and when you don't have this massive advantage of Norchad or Mir because 
Kentucky has to play the same way, and Kentucky has Trey Mitchell, and Omir gets in foul trouble. To me, this uh, this Kentucky team, uh, we talked about this after the Kansas game, that there were so many positives to take away from that. Mm-hmm. And they are, in many ways, the opposite of the last couple of seasons. They do all the little things really well. They move the ball. They don't turn the ball over. The the freshmen, I mean, Rod Dillingham, Dillingham has had moments, but the, the big three haven't even been that spectacular. It's been Reed Shepard. Mm-hmm. And they haven't gotten their bigs back yet. I I am completely sold on this team. I don't know exactly what their ceiling is, but this is I was not stunned that it went this way. They are for real and they are only going to get better. Yeah, I I, I was pretty sold that Kentucky was better than Miami coming into this game. I have been lower than pretty much everybody on Miami because I just don't totally understand how you lose the firepower power that you did. And you didn't really make up for, I mean, I guess Matthew Cleveland is supposed to make up for it on both ends of the ball, but like it's, you lost the ACC player of the year. So I'm not totally sure. It's a net negative. Yeah. So, you know, Kentucky now 14th in the country at Kempom, third in offense, they're fifth in effective field goal percentage. They're number one in the country in turnover rate, uh, fifth in three point shooting, 19th in two point shooting. It's um, it's a train coming from Lexington right now that is very hard to stop. And in theory, it could get even more difficult to stop once they get even healthier than they are at this point. I'm falling in love with Reed Shepard too, dude. He Quickly. he might he he is he's awesome. And you know, it's to to you know, gas him up even more. Kentucky needed overtime to beat St. Joseph's in a game where Reed Shepard had zero points in 25 minutes. So clearly, right, there's there's something to be said for how important he is coming off the bench. Yeah, he's I mean, he's been the best freshman so far. It's probably that's probably right. That's probably right. Um also in the ACC SEC challenge, a game that wasn't even on our radar because of course Mississippi State the number one the number 21 team in the country was going to go and take care of Georgia Tech and that's not what happened anyway any way shape or form the yellow jackets 67-59 Mississippi State 20 of 65 from the field 7 of 30 from the three point line and really nice defense uh, that Mississippi State has, and you know the numbers will tell you that the offense struggles at times, and that's exactly what happened. Third-ranked defense in the country, a 112th offensively after a 59-point performance against Georgia Tech. And I think they were up at 75th or something before Yeah, this I think game. that's right. Yeah, I think that's right. <laughs> yeah, uh, this is what can happen when you don't have Tolu Smith and you are – a very, very good defensive team and a offensively challenged one. They hadn't given up more than 64 points. They hadn't scored fewer than 66. They had been in this nice kind of 70 to 62 sort of game range and Mm -hmm. have three wins over high major opponents, one of which is Northwestern, who's off to a pretty good start. The other two, Arizona State, Washington State, okay, not the best wins in the world, but you're 6-0 with three high major wins. and to come into this game, I mean, Ken Palm gave Georgia Tech a 14% chance to win. 67 points was enough. I, it was just one of those games. And 
this is going to be the thing with Mississippi State this season is the defense appears to be elite. Can you get enough offensively to give yourself a chance and actually then not only stay in the game, but win most of these games against better opposition than Georgia Tech if you can't do it in this game? That, you know, lots of momentum coming into this one, and then it just kind of all fell apart. Yeah, you know, right now, a lot of the production on offense for the Bulldogs is going to be in the in the backcourt, whether it be from Deshaun Davis, Trey Fort, uh, Josh Hubbard coming off the bench as a freshman, and all three of them were were incredibly inefficient in this one. Um, Davis and Fort in the starting lineup were five of twenty, and it took Hubbard eighteen shots to get seventeen points. That's that's just not that's just not going to cut it, uh, especially when you're missing a guy like Smith. Yeah, um, on the Georgia Tech side, I just love Miles Kelly's stat line: twenty-two and eleven, looks great. Five of sixteen from the field. So of those five made field goals, four of them were three pointers. Strange, mm-hmm. strange game. Georgia Tech getting a, a, a nice win. A nice win. I mean, I find it hard to believe that it'll ultimately mean anything for the Yellow Jackets and Damon Stoudemire uh, this year. But, um, you know, three and two, lost to UMass Lowell, which is not a bad loss. You know, it is at home, but that's a good UMass Lowell team and a Cincinnati team that's relatively respectable as well. But a, a nice bounce back and uh, some light late in November for, for the Yellow Jackets. Last but not least, another game that we weren't totally sure we were going to need to touch on. Alabama, one of the best, better offenses in the country thus far, uh, putting up numbers that are very, very impressive. Number one uh, at Kempom, at least before the Clemson game, put on the, put on, uh, the resume, but, you know, 105 points, 102 points, 102 points, 98 points, 99 points, but it was a it was a, an 85-77 loss for the Crimson Tide, uh, shooting just 34% from the field. Yeah, it looked like for a minute there they were going to run away with this. Mm-hmm. The three started falling. Mark Sears went unconscious for a little bit, and then Clemson scored 13 straight points and just never relinquished the lead after that. And it's not like this was because of P.J. Hall, which is the interesting part on the Clemson side. He had a good game. He also got himself excused from the game on multiple occasions with foul trouble and just fouls he didn't need to commit, which is if there are a lot of positives to to go to. But the next level for Clemson is keep P.J. Hall on the floor if you're going to consistently try and play with the best teams in the country because what they're showing you is that between him and those guards, when they all show up, they can play with the best teams in the country. And when he was on the bench, that was when Chase Hunter and Joe Girard kept knocking down threes and kept making plays. Ian Chiflin was really, really good. Just energy rebounds, effort plays. They got a bunch of contributions from the role players and the guards that you need to show up and, so here they are with a really good start to the season, an important win for a team that didn't have a great non-conference schedule last season, and also an important win for the ACC, piggy- piggybacking off of Georgia Tech to 
at least get something out of this competition that has not gone particularly well. I feel like it is important to say that PJ, PJ Hall had 21, 8, 2, and 4 in this game. Yes, no, he, he was, was in yeah. foul trouble, but yeah. we can't. This isn't a win that they got without PJ Hall playing really well. Yes, yes. Just the next step is let's keep him on the floor. But very, very, very good performance. I'm nitpicking. The uh, the thing that surprised me was, you know, you look at the box score and it's 33-32 at halftime. And I, you know, it, Clemson shoots 10 of 30, excuse me, Alabama goes 10 of 36 from the field in the first half. Uh, Clemson goes 14 of 30. And I'm just kind of waiting for Alabama to, to kind of explode a little bit. And they had a better second half, but it was Clemson who was 18 of 30 from the field in the second half, was 8 of 11 from the three-point line, shot better from the three-point line than they did from the, from the charity stripe in the second half. And it was, you know, the the Tigers that were actually the team to to really get out and, and go in the second half and, and knock down a ton of shots. And it looks like early on that... You know, Alabama's going to score a ton of points. It's it's just going to be a, a matter of when they don't push 90 points, uh, do they have the defensive performance to keep up with it? Yeah, this is not an elite defensive Alabama team right now. And after you play Arkansas State, Purdue, Creighton, Arizona in consecutive games. So got to figure something out quick or the losses are going to start piling up. Yeah, very much so. Anything else? I do believe that is it. Thank you so much for being here on, well, it's Wednesday now. Wednesday, early Wednesday, 12, 16 a.m. This has been the Under 8 Podcast for Tuesday, November 28th. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to your shows. Follow the Under 8 Pod on Twitter, TikTok, and YouTube. We'll be back tomorrow with more ACC SEC Challenge and uh, plenty more college hoops. Thanks so much for being here and we will see you tomorrow.